Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Hello world, this is the Social Justice, the New American Revolution podcast. I'm your host for today, Jamal. Uh, I have my co-host with me today, one of my favorite people who joined the podcast because we t- we see eye to eye so much. It's it's pretty funny. Dave, what's up, Dave? How's everything? Hey guys, good. I don't even know what time it is, but good time to be here. <laughs> <laughs> and this is why me and Jamal exactly. see right eye to eye all the time. But yes, <laughs> how's it going, Jamal? Uh, it's going pretty well, actually. Tonight we have a special guest, and I say special because. We were pretty decent friends growing up uh, in high school, never had any issues together. And now this guy is doing something that's like amazing. He's running for city council in the Bronx to make change. John Sanchez, how are you today? I'm good. Thank you, Jamal. Thank you, David. Thank you for having me here. And um, it's great to just reconnect and talk about positive things for the Bronx and just to kick it with you both. Yeah, I agree. as much needed, I'll tell you that, man. We always need the pop. You're definitely a person, I'm pretty sure, that will bring it. So, perfect. All right, so let's just jump right into it. All right, John, tell us about your background and what you do professionally. Yeah, well, I went to, um, you know, we, we all went to Spelman together. Then I went to NYU's business school, graduated with a management degree. And then I worked in government consulting, working in D.C. Then I moved back to the Bronx. I was a personal trainer for a little bit, helping people get healthy. And then I went back and said, I really want to get into government. So I volunteered on a local campaign in the Bronx for state assembly. And luckily, the candidate won. I became his deputy chief of staff, running his district office. That was a great job. And then um, later on, I became district manager of Community Board 6, I've been there for about four years where we're doing things like, you know, planning financial literacy classes, sponsoring open gyms for young people, having a paid internship program. And after these four years, I really feel like I've graduated and now I'm prepared to run for city council to make the Bronx and New York City a better place to live in. That sounds beautiful. Which, uh, which, uh, which uh, district are you um, running right now? Yeah, I'm running in the 15th district in the Bronx. And just to give the geography, think about Fordham Road and Grand Concourse all the way to Allerton, East Tremont, and West Farms. So the center of the Bronx, Fordham University, the Bronx Zoo, Botanical Garden. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's a amazing. lot of area. Right. That's, that's awesome. <laughs> that's so just to, to deviate just a little bit. Uh, you went to school for business, and for we have a, a couple people that are younger who listen to the podcast. Why did you decide to go to school for business? Originally, when I was applying to colleges, I was thinking, what would be best for my long-term goals? And long-term goals were to get in government. As a result, I didn't want to leave New York. I knew I wanted to stay in a New York school. And then I thought, you know, what's the best school in New York that has the best business program? And that was NYU. So that was pretty much in my calculus. And, um, <laughs> and, I, and I thought, you know, making connections in business school would be helpful for running for office. And also business and government are always linked. So I thought it would be a good way to get into government. And, um, you know, somehow it worked out. Yeah, worked out well. 
Um, so what is your motivation behind getting involved in politics and deciding to run for city council? The motivation is to make it a neighborhood where people don't want to leave. I mean, too often when people hear about the Bronx, there's a misconception that there's issues with it, that it's not a good place to live. And I want to change that. I want to make this a neighborhood where people feel comfortable raising their family, sending their children to local schools, and not feeling like they have to leave the Bronx to make it. And that's what motivates me to run. There's so much talent in the Bronx. There's so much untapped potential that we need to be fostering it and cultivating it instead of telling people, you know, once you graduate from college or graduate from high school, get as far as away as you can from your neighborhood. It shouldn't be that way. It should be move back to your neighborhood, improve it, make it better. Well said. That is such a misconception, too. It's crazy that a lot of people do that. Is it possible that you're um, living right now? You're living in the Bronx right now? or? Oh, yeah, I'm in the Bronx. I'm near um, Arthur Avenue. Okay. Do you feel like um, when you um, – oh, I know exactly where you are. In that neighborhood or when growing up, did it does it sponsor that mission in order to make the neighborhood a better place or that – or make the Bronx itself a better place? Or is this more just uh, a recent thing in your mind that you keep seeing and you're like, I can't believe it's still like similar to before? Or do you see growth? I definitely see growth. Um, I live near where I am now back, um, back my fr- freshman year through junior years of high school. So this was 03 to 06. And mm-hmm. just comparing the crime statistics from back then to now, crime has dramatically dropped in this neighborhood um, and then even when I speak to longtime residents, like when I'm doing my campaign, I'm speaking to people that have been here 20, 30 years, some people that own small buildings, some people that have lived in the same building for a while, and they don't want to leave because they feel like it's home. It's, it's what they love. It's their neighborhood, but they do want to see it improved. And I think people have always wanted to improve their neighborhoods. I think the issue has been that local governments haven't always been investing in the people in the Bronx and investing in the Bronx. Um, they've been focusing on places like Brooklyn and Manhattan. I think the next city council has to make sure that the Bronx is a priority. Well said. Completely agree there. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I completely agree. Yeah, like we all grew up in the Bronx. Um, and I, I go back to the Bronx every so often um, for different reasons. And I, <laughs> certain places, it's, it's actually a lot nicer than it was when we were growing up. And you see, like, a lot, there's a lot more uh, community aspect in other places as well. Like, exactly where I grew up. I grew up uh, by 233rd, mm-hmm. um, like, north of 233rd. And Near like, White Plains Road? Correct. That's where I work now. That's scary. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That That's I know fantastic. exactly where you work. That's fantastic. Wow. <laughs> but, like, um, where I grew up, it wasn't bad. Um, it was really there wasn't that much crime or anything like that but uh like whenever i go and visit i talk to the people that are still there and you know it's gotten better community there's a lot more community to have a lot more events and things like that going on for the community so it's 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 i'm happy to see people who are from the bronx stepping up to make change um and i think that's awesome so i just think one thing is that it's crazy that john mentions that the way that people w- will move from the Bronx, because right now 
my my girlfriend personally, we're trying to move up to Bronxville or up to Yonkers because in the Bronx she doesn't feel safe with her child. It's the exact scenario that he's picturing. Mm. So it's just very interesting to hear like that he wants to change that because the problem is that when you grow up in a neighborhood and you see certain things that you don't that you know things that like that involve like people in the street doing crime doing things you don't want your child to see it so mm-hmm. it basically you want to cover it so you think that getting away from the neighborhood will cover it but I've seen a lot of times it doesn't cover it, it just kind of hides them from the truth of how reality is. I feel like if we could get the Bronx to get to a better place, it actually be better to see it go from bad to good and not, you know, get it from just like, oh, from I I went to a much better school upstate because, you know, it's just that much easier to do. But it's hard because you want to protect them too, you know? Mm -hmm. So which way do you go? John, what is your mission in this? Like, what is, what is the way that you want to help the Bronx and make it a better place? My mission is to bring the investment that has been lacking in the borough for decades. My mission is to also really inform people about how government works and make sure that they have a place at the table when it comes to making these decisions and also just doing things differently. Like, yes, I'm running for city council, I'm running for office, but... I'm planning to run my office very differently than most city council offices. Um, you know, similar to what I've done at the community board. At the community board, we did a charity 5K. We raised $2,000 for lupus research. Nice. We, we do nice. an annual toy giveaway for families that live in shelters. Um, I want to do that on the city council level, but expand it. Um, I want to have town halls throughout the district. I want to have my office open on Saturdays for people that can't come to the office nine to five during the work week. I want to sponsor block parties, community building events. I want to do monthly financial literacy workshops so we can help people um, get their finances in order. And most of all, I want to invest in job opportunities that don't require a college degree. Just because someone doesn't have a college Mm. degree doesn't mean they're relegated to a minimum wage job for the rest of their life. And I want more investment in the Bronx and that's what I'm looking to push. I mean, my mission is to make this the best borough in the city. You made me want to cry. (laughs) (laughs) Now the financial uh, literacy is big. It's such a big thing because a lot of people do not understand how to run their finances and how much credit is so important in the United States. That's such a huge thing if people could learn that. Um, and that's come yeah. up a lot in uh, mm-hmm. in our podcast. Like, yeah, trying to build uh, something where people can't have that financial literacy or that financial freedom to not rely on government assistance or to not live paycheck to paycheck. It's it's a uh, it's a really big thing right now, especially with COVID. Um, it's big. So this is a question that I was thinking of, actually. So how do your friends and family feel about you getting into politics? Uh, That's a great question. I'd say my parents are definitely supportive of it. They, you know, like any parent, they, any parents, they want to make sure that I stay careful, that I try to avoid the negative side of politics. Um, my, my wife is supportive. 
Um, she wants me to win. She, she believes in what we're trying to do, make the neighborhood better. And friends have always been supportive. No one has told me, which is great, at least to my face, no one has told me, do not run. This is a bad idea. You shouldn't. Encouraging. <laughs> That's very encouraging. <laughs> people think, First yeah, that, that gives me confidence <laughs> that people think I can do the job because more than anything, I want people to feel like, oh, John can do the job and he can do the job well. And so far, even if people um, are supporting other candidates, no one has said John's not qualified or John can't do the job. In fact, everyone admits that I'm probably the most qualified and I would do the best job, but just for political reasons, they can't support me right away. Understood. That, that sounds fair. Yeah. That sounds fair. And you can know we support. Oh, I support. Thank you. <laughs> I was going to say, right. Like, we have your back. Thank man. you. Um, the good thing is that um, you, sisters, and you're right there. I'll, I'm I'm pretty sure my girl probably voted for you by accident, but no, I don't know. My election is not until next year, but um, yeah. Oh, yeah. okay. So you got time? Yeah, okay. yeah. Early, Thank like mid February, okay. early March. Okay. Oh, it's, the city one, the local ones, that early in the year. My situation is a little bit different. So most of the city elections are happening June of twenty one. 2021 but because, okay yeah that's what i'm used to is in the middle of the year or the yeah, end but okay. because so why is your situation yeah my mine different. is earlier because the current council member is going to congress and as a result the city the mayor calls a special election and the special election has to happen between 60 and 80 days of when he announces it and that that pretty oh, much wow. leads us to late february to mid-march oh I'll make sure she votes. Thank you. Um, <laughs> uh, so in this current time, you know, especially 2020, the way it has been going, why do you think your work is so important? I think it's important right now because we've seen the impact that the pandemic has had on the Bronx. It's had an impact across the city, but the Bronx has been hit the hardest. You know, the district that I'm running in had about 15% unemployment before the pandemic. Now, there's estimates that we're between 30 and 40% unemployment. This is a Great Depression level of unemployment. Mm -hmm. And we need people that are going to lead city government to have ideas and bold ideas for how we're going to make sure that the Bronx recovers. We can't have people saying the same old thing using slogans and hashtags and looking for likes and shares on Instagram. We need people that know what the job entails have specific plans on day one and are committed to doing this work rather than just being a celebrity or trying to be reelected. I'd rather not be a reelected, but get things done than be a passive member of the city council and continually get reelected. Speak. Uh, that's from your that's soul. actually well said, man. Right. That's, that's well said. That's, that's, that's what the country, not even the Bronx. That's what the country needs. That is well said. And with that stated, how do you feel about the upcoming general election? And what do you think that can mean for the future? So this, uh, I mean, the long lines, I expected long lines for early voting. And I've been telling people, I think we're going to have the highest voter turnout in the history of the country um, on Tuesday. I think it's very clear what the future is. If we have the current, if we have this right. president reelected, we're going to see four more years of pain. If we have a new president 
and hopefully a new Congress, we can see things turn around, be more fair, and actually have a government that we can be somewhat proud of. Right now, I think across the board, whether you're Republican or Democrat, you can't be proud of the leader of our federal government right now. You can't, you can't nope. be proud when you travel to another country <laughs> and say that your president is who he is. And the fact that we can't even travel to other countries is an indictment on his presidency. We can't even travel. He was trying to keep people out from coming to the United States. We can't even leave. We're trapped inside because of the pandemic. Yeah. I'm trying to breathe because Jamal knows. That <laughs> 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 it's 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 legitimately like everything that you're talking about. It's like we feel like we're having a normal conversation, David and I, because this is like, <laughs> this is it. it. It feels good to hear someone who's actually trying to make real change have similar outlooks to what we're feeling. Right. You know, it's, it's I think it's amazing. Um, it might be. Too, and the might... fact that you're here trying to make those changes, you know, when you have these similar outlooks to a lot of people who we actually that listen to us. I think a lot of people can see how different you are and how you want to make these amazing changes. Yeah, and I think, so, um, you know, I still believe that government can inspire people. It can motivate people and make people proud of the neighborhoods they live in. I just think these last four years have really turned a lot of people off to politics. Um, but I think we can have a little bit of a sense of normalcy with a new president. I think things will get a little bit better um, I think in the short term, in the long term, one of the benefits of us having our current president is it's motivated a lot of young people to get involved, want to run for office and say, we're not waiting our turn. We're going to take our stand and we're going to be leaders now. We're not going to wait. We're not going to wait in line. We're going to jump the line because it's our, it's our time. Do you think that the age in politics has a big effect on how everything has been running especially when it comes to the senate in which there's no like limit terms and a lot of people there have been there for over 20 years and 10 years and it's just they're over 60 70 years old do you think they're out of touch with the way that certain things should be and that's why the young people are also like hey uh nah you're not representing me you're representing completely you. and i what think 100 there should be term limits, um, especially on the federal level. There should be term limits in general. I think, you know, the history of public service was that you did public service for a few years and then you returned to private life or something else. And people are turned off by lifelong politicians. I think that's one reason why we had the president that we have right now. Granted, I thought Hillary Clinton was brilliant, but people were a little bit fatigued of seeing someone with a lifelong experience in government. That may be unfair, but that's what people think. People want someone that um, has a different perspective, that has done different things. And I think it's refreshing if you have an elected official say, I'm not concerned most about reelection. I want to get things done for the community and not be governed by reelection. Too often elected officials think politically, if I do this, I may not get reelected. I do this. 
Just just mm-hmm. do what's right and have some courage. When was the last time you saw an elected official said they had courage? They risked their job. They risked criticism. They risked abuse, wow. but they stood up because they had some courage. And I think there's too little of that across the country right now. Do the right thing. And if you're trying to make everyone happy, serve ice cream. Don't get into politics. Well, ice cream does not make everyone happy, um, but I do agree. <laughs> well, I think he means yeah. a lot of that. Just saying. I don't know, man. Them lactose intolerant people will tell you ice cream does not make oh, them feel the same way. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Um, <laughs> okay. So how has your work or mindset been affected by this global? Well, first, I'm fortunate that I still do have a job. I want to be sensitive to the fact that there's about a million people in New York City that are on unemployment right now, um, which is, you know, that's, that's you know, 25% of our population is on unemployment. Those are staggering numbers. But how my job has changed, luckily, we've been able to work, work remotely the whole time. I work in a city building. I go into the office a few days a week. But generally, we, we do everything remote. So at the community board, we do our, month, we do our monthly meetings via Zoom, um, which is good. We're, we answer constituent calls and emails remotely. So we're still functioning. But the issues that we're seeing um, are different. People are looking for food. People are looking for resources for their kids that are doing remote learning. Uh, people, are, people are looking for job opportunities. Um, one thing we've been doing, we've, we've been sponsoring free interview and resume workshops just to help people that are looking for work now. Let's try to sharpen up their resume so they can get jobs when things reopen. Um, but the things people are looking for now are a little bit different pre-pandemic. Um, and, you know, people are still hurting. And um, that's very serious it's very real and i think the biggest thing that i'm concerned about is rent people are behind on rent there's a eviction moratorium but what's going to happen next year when people are five to six months behind on rent and landlords are saying hey we're behind on our property taxes and you know we could have a million people in new york city face eviction that's a nightmare we need to deal with it if it wasn't for the freeze, it would have happened yes, already. Exactly. That's the crazy part. That's super nuts right now with that. Uh do you think that um do you think that the way the government has not um helped with stimulus in, in any way one time with except with the one time situation and the one time unemployment um extension, that do you think that has a big effect on the fact that the Bronx and other places are still struggling? Or do you think that the stimulus is not the way to No, the people. stimulus is the way because states and cities don't have money. And the only branch of government that's allowed to borrow to help people out is the federal government. And I think it really shows the bad side of politics that turns people off to politics. The Republican Senate was so eager to get the Supreme Court nominee through, but they've been sitting on their hands when it comes to helping people pay for rent pay for food. Um, so that shows you that when politicians are motivated by something, specifically power, they can act very quickly. But when it comes to helping people out, they can sit on their hands when they want to. 
Um, and that's a shame. And that's definitely why the Bronx is hurting even more so. You know, they had small business loans and aid, but I think 1% of the loans were given to Bronx businesses in New York City. Most of the businesses that yep, got the correct. funding were businesses that were established and that knew how to navigate all of the paperwork. Um, and just mm-hmm. something simple like extending the unemployment benefits, making those higher. You know, we should be making it easy. If your job is too unsafe to be open right now, why wouldn't the government be helping people out? It just makes sense. And even if you're being political, why wouldn't you want your constituents to have stimulus while they can't work? It's it, it, The crazy part of it all is that even from an economic standpoint, it doesn't make sense. Like, it's the one thing that's been driving Wall Street is that the fact that they want a second stimulus check, the Federal Reserve Bank asks for it, and no one <laughs> is listening. It's like the Senate is listening yeah, to they're w- dog whistles or something. Yeah, kind they're, of they're waiting outside. until the election, like, sadly. So I think they're going to do something after the election, regardless of who wins, just because, you know, there's an impending eviction crisis. But it's a shame that they had to wait until after the election when they could have done this in the summer. Man, they could have done this all the way back when it was about to end. We're the only country that's done one stimulus. <laughs> Every other country has done multiple stimulus. And yeah, and I mean, it really, it really shows you, like, you know, imagine if, <laughs> if you know, the taxpayers, as taxpayers, if there was a law that said, you know, if unemployment's at a certain rate, Congress gets a pay cut. Or Congress doesn't get paid. I guarantee you, if Congress members weren't getting paid, they would put a stimulus in and too often the people yeah. in office they don't relate to people that have worked for a living and when i mean generally i mean actually worked like i've worked in real estate i've worked as a personal trainer those are two commission only jobs so i know what it means to actually yes. work they don't mm-hmm. know what the owner of the pizza shop that works 48 years in the neighborhood making pizza having to struggle and not have his businesses may have to have it closed what that means. They don't know about the owner of the catering hall that has been doing great business, but then has to shut down for six months, owes $20,000 in rent, and doesn't know what they're going to do for their kid's college fund. They don't relate to that. Um, That's why we need people that actually know what it means to work for a living in office so they can have the same sense of urgency. Well, John, that urgency is real. And I'm just proud to say that I like what you're talking about. And I'm behind you. Y'all need anything, oh, yeah. let me know. I'm always the right. <laughs> I'm still in Yonkers, but I do go in the Bronx frequently, um, especially since I still work there. So by all means, more than willing to help out for real change. Yeah, I appreciate so, that. All right. So if there was one thing that you would say kind of said like, hey, like this needs to change so i want to be the person to change it what do you think that was like growing up that's a great question i don't think i've ever asked that before so i was recently reading my old notebooks from third grade fourth grade fifth grade and there was a recurring theme Mm -hmm. that i wanted to make my neighborhood safer and have less violence and for a third grader to be writing about that um, that, that struck me. And I think everyone, regardless of if you're Republican, Democrat, independent, you want to live in a safe neighborhood that's clean. 
And I think that would be one specific thing I want to change. If we're talking on a larger policy level, you know, there's a vacant property in the district that I'm running in. It's called the Fordham Library. It's owned by the city. It's been vacant for 25 years. Yep. It's on Bainbridge and um, Fordham Road. Yep. I want to make that into a mm-hmm. job development and youth center where we're helping people get trained in jobs that don't require a t- college degree, whether that be in the arts, whether that be in podcasting, whether that be in technology. But then we also have a youth center where we're providing young people those skills as well, an after-school program, but also that teaches them skills they can use after school. Um, that, that would be one specific thing I really want to change um, because it's just a powerful visual change where you can say, this was vacant for 25 years, but because I've been in the city council, I changed it, and now it's a thriving building. Mm-hmm. So it's safe to say that your, your main the main thing behind a lot of the motivation behind your um, moving forward with uh, government is kind of wanting to see a better future, kind of investing in our children, investing in, you know, the people investing in property, investing in things that will actually help the yeah, next generation. I, mean, I want thrive. people to see a visual change when they walk through the 15th district in the Bronx. Um, even simple things like Fordham Road. Mm-hmm. Fordham Road probably should not have so many cars near it, so it could be more walkable, so you're not cluttered on the sidewalk. Um, I want to see more stores of higher quality on Fordham Road. Um, I want to see transportation better on Fordham Road. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to make the Grand Concourse. I want to. Preach. Yeah. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Stop, stop right there. The transportation. That's it. <laughs> preach. Say it louder. No, stop right yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Not for seriously. It's so bad, man. I used to oh my hate God. driving. I'm driving every day to, to see my girlfriend. Oh my God! Bring it back, run it back, DJ. No, and even kidding. like, no, no, <laughs> of course. And I'm even sorry. the Grand Concourse, like the Grand Concourse, is such an iconic strip in the Bronx. I really want to make the center lanes a pedestrian plaza. Um, other countries have something similar, but a safe place where people can ride their bike, they can walk. You could have some nice shops there really make the Grand Concourse a destination for the borough. It used to be, exactly. too. That's the crazy part. Because a lot of stuff used to be. It used to be packed. Back in the, back in the, back in the, I think, I don't know if it's the 60s or the 50s, it was super packed at Fordham. Fordham used to be an iconic. People used to go, they used to go see the plays that in the theater that's over there that's, that hasn't been used in forever either. Um, the one that's right on Grand Concourse, that theater used to have a lot of plays. People would come out. It was amazing yeah. back in the day. And I, Too bad it wasn't yeah, there. And I, think, um, but I, know, I think we need people running that actually have a vision for the neighborhood. Like, What are specific things you want to see? And I have a vision for the Bronx where people can thrive, where people want to move here, where if you want to get, if you want to shop, you can go here. If you want to hang out, you can go here. If you want to do an after school program, you can go here. Um, we we, sh- we shouldn't have Bronx residents having to go downtown whenever they want to do something. Why can't they stay in their neighborhood, keep the money here? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's that's an amazing point. Yeah, so kind of like the theme of New York City. Yeah, bring the theme of New York City to the Bronx. Exactly, you can make it here. You can make it anywhere. Well, the, the Bronx made people. the term better than anybody else. I don't know what <laughs> 
came from the heart. Um, <laughs> but oh man, what well, um. Those are all the questions that we have for today. Mm-hmm. Uh, is there anything that that you uh, kind of want to talk about? Anything that you kind of want to promote? Anything that you yeah, I'll just touch more you know, on. Give, I'll give two two quick stories about how I'm running a different race than most people. Um, you know, we we we're all aware of the tragedy that happened with Junior about two years ago, and um, you know, I live I live a few blocks away from where that happened. And a few of the kids that knew him, they said, we really want to do open gyms so we have a safe place to be. You know, parents don't want to let us out right now. It's really, uh, it's really a tough time. We've been trying to do open gyms for years, but all of the elected officials didn't respond. And what I did was I hounded the Department of Education. I hounded the precinct. And we sponsored those open gyms for July and August. You've had 50, 60 kids lined up waiting to play basketball. And it's something so simple but it meant so much to those kids. And then I was thinking, we've had all these large empty gyms in our city. Why weren't they being used in the summer? Why weren't elected officials funding that? Um, that's something I did and that's something I wanna bring back if I'm in the city council. And the second thing, you know, I, I want people's support, but we're dedicating some of our fundraising for the campaign to do a turkey drive. So we can actually provide some turkeys for people that are going through a tough time right now in the Bronx. Um, people can learn more at my website, johnsanchezforny.com, instagram.com, it's johnsanchezny. But, you know, win or lose, I'm gonna make sure that our campaign gave back to the people before the election. I don't wanna say vote for me, but I haven't done anything before that. I wanna show people I'm gonna be working for you even before I'm elected because that's what we need in government. question is that also how people could um sponsor you if they want to um, yes 100 percent. and the great thing about people that live in new york city if they donate their donations are matched by the city eight times so if someone gives 25 dollars, the city chips in 200 if someone donates 100 the city chips in 800 dollars. so it's a good way for me not to have to speak to people with a bunch of money a lot of small donations can really build up and um they make a difference. So whether someone gives $10 or $20, it all makes a difference and it all adds up. That's amazing. I didn't even know that. That is amazing. Don't worry. Thank you. I can't say this, but I got you. <laughs> you got you, um, you have so a look I, in your bank account when you're talking to someone like hmm. you can swing ten oh. bucks, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So I actually, I actually did, I did think of another question or from something you just said. Yeah. Um, And that was the tragedy with Junior and how, you know, you brought up a few times in the violence in the Bronx and things like that. So with your campaign, uh, how do you plan on kind of addressing? I think it goes back to jobs. You know, think about the reasons why people commit crimes. It's not because of their racial background. It's because of a lack of opportunity. You're more likely to be in the street life if you don't see a legal way out. I mean, it's kind of similar to what what Jay-Z said. He said, um, he said, I'd rather be enormous than be dormant. That's how we on it. Um, You know, you want to live big so people take these risks. But what if you could live big 
because our government invested in you to have a job that pays well, even without a college degree. Um, so it really goes back to jobs. If someone doesn't see a legal right. way out, they're going to do the fast way. They're going to do the take the shortcuts. So we need to start early and we have to specifically target people without college degrees. I mean, statistically. Yep. Do you think I was going to say no, statistically, so, uh, well, I mean, finish, if no. you look at the prison population, the jail population, um, there's not a lot of college graduates in prison and jail. It's mostly, you know, I think 75% of the people in prison and jail, high school dropouts. So what can we do, you know, make sure people graduate high school, but make sure we're giving people access to careers that don't require it, whether that be in music, the arts, fashion, um, construction. There's so much work that's available, but, you know, we're not exposing young people to it and we have to do that. The question I the question I was about to ask is basically, you know how media portrays a lot of things and basically makes it seem like if you don't go to college, it's the only way to succeed. How would you change that in young people's mind? Because they automatically, especially with parents and stuff like that, it's like you gotta go to college, you gotta do this. I've always encouraged my own kids around me that to follow their dreams regardless. Because I can't tell them that college is the only way. Because yeah. I only graduated associate, and I still make over eighty thousand a year. I'm heading oh, towards hundred, hopefully by the next two years. So, you get what I'm saying. So mm-hmm. I can't. I'm one of the people that can't go and say, "Oh, college made me better." It it didn't. It, and honestly, I feel like I wasted those two years. For me, it just wasn't my way of making money and moving out and doing things I had to do. So, how would you portray to people that is not the only way? Because the media and different things in life, especially their own family and friends, probably tell them that's the so only I, way out. This is it. What's your way so yeah, of being I mean, able to so explain so that? Statistically, to I mean, even now, if you compare the earnings of someone that graduated from college versus someone that didn't, you know, being a college graduate weighs in that favor. But I think the counter to that is look at college right now. Right now, college in a lot of places in our country is looking in front of a, looking in front of a screen all day no interaction with a, a professor or your classmates in person mm-hmm. and schools are charging 50 to $70,000 for that, which I think is a ripoff. I think how we promote that is talk about careers, bringing people in and saying, you know, here are people doing well that didn't go to college. Um, and I just think in general, our country as a whole has to just invest in pathways that aren't the traditional college. I'll give you a specific example. There's a school in Pennsylvania called Williamson College of the Trades. It's an all-boys school. It's a junior college. They do a three-year commitment where they're pretty much learning carpentry, masonry, um, steelwork, et cetera. And then when they graduate, you know, they're making eighty dollars to $100,000. And they, and they, and they live yep, on the campus the whole three years. Um, we, need, we need the city to investing mm-hmm. in places like that an alternative to the traditional college, whether that be a tech school, whether that be a music school where people can learn not just how to record music, but be an engineer. These big industries, the music industry is huge and there's thousands of jobs in that industry. The film industry, you don't have to just be an actor. You could be a director, choreographer, or the thousands of other jobs in the movie industry. I mean, I think part of it is just exposure. If you're not exposed to it, and you're not able to have someone in your network that shares the information with you, how can you really 
think of that for something to aspire to. You've never been exposed to it. So I think that's part of what I want to do, just expose more people to the mm. Bronx to different careers. Like I have one, one plan, you know, when I'm in office, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call Kwame and say, hey, can you come to the Bronx to speak to the young people about the culinary industry? That would be awesome. Yeah, Kwame made it so far in that, man. Uh, he's been doing yes. so well. Yeah, super proud yeah. of him. Yeah, shout out, man. Shout out to Kwame. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, so to, to continue th- this uh, conversation with um, jobs and uh, getting building awareness, what about uh, like counselors in schools? Would you uh, reach off to schools to to kind of get one hundred more of these informations to schools? Since you know when you're in when you're in high school, you go to talk to the counselor, you kind of make yeah, a decision think, on what direction you're going to go. And again, it goes um, they stuff down your throat. College is like college, college, college. I part of the issue is that right. one, um, we need more counselors so <laughs> students can get more one-on-one attention. You can't have three hundred students to one counselor. You're never going to get as much attention as you should. But also, we need these different mm-hmm. industries to be doing workshops at these schools, but also doing workshops for counselors because counselors have a lot on their plate. They may not know that there's an available training program for someone that doesn't want to go to college. So I think sharing that information is vital, and we need to get the counselors on board. We need to get the principals on board. Um, it's a long-term effort, and we just need to keep going at it. But I think you're 100% right, David. Um, we just need to get this information to the counselor so they can share these resources with students to say, you know what, I don't want to go to college, but I want to make something of myself. What's my option? And that's the thing, right. too. It's not that I don't think people don't. Is that they, do, they don't see another way, so they'll do it because it's like, oh, well, this is the only way. Yeah. My counselor told me. My mom told me. My grandma told me, you know, and it's sad because I've seen so many people who don't go to college, but they open up a successful business. They even that route is something that's not talked about as much as it should be. Cause usually when you go to college, it's not to be make your own business it's to go into business and do well. It's different. Like, mm-hmm. so that's something that I wish was spoken about more too, is that you could make your own business and a lot of your ideas, originality could be the biggest thing in the world and make you the most money compared to just working for someone else and making their dream come true. So it just depends. Like everyone's life yeah, is and different. I think, you, know? you know, another thing is like right. you're just thinking about it. You know, you know, when you think about how much you really need to live, you know, you don't need to be making millions of dollars. If you speak to a young person, like they think they I need to make a million dollars, et cetera, you can make a good salary, you know, eighty to a hundred and still do well. You can have a home, you can have a car if you want that. Um, but I just think people's idea of, oh, is they see everything on TV and they think I need to make a millions of dollars. This is why I'm, I'm trying to do it this way. But in life, I think this pandemic, if anything, showed us, um, you know, these material items don't matter as much. What really matters is your health, your safety and your family when it comes down to it. Love, man. Yeah. Agreed. 100%. That's well said. Yeah. So for the people in the audience who don't know, what exactly does city council do? And so the city council, there's 51 city council members, and there's two big responsibilities. One, we vote on the budget, and it's about a $90 billion budget that funds all the city services, everything from parks to the police department to sanitation. The other thing that city council members do is we have power over land use. 
which is pretty much the rules that allow things to be built or not be built. Um, so whether that means something very simple, let's say you live on a block where all the buildings are two, three stories, a city council member can change the zoning to allow taller buildings there to allow more housing. Um, another thing that city council members do, they have something called discretionary funds. So they get about $5 million to invest in capital or construction projects. They get a half a million dollars for nonprofits that can go to after school programs, job development, et cetera. So city council members have the most power on what your local community looks like. So if your streets aren't clean like you want it to be, if you feel like there's not enough after school programs, you should look at your city council member. They have the biggest impact on that. Do you think local government is not portrayed like it should be? And would you wish for more people to be 100%, involved? 100%. I think, in local, I think government? local government is the most exciting part of government because you can see visible changes quicker. I mean, it's easy to be in, not easy, but it's different. Like if you're a U.S. Senator or a U.S. Congress member, you know, a lot of things are dependent on who the president is, who controls the other house of Congress. Um, so you're a little bit less responsive to things when people have complaints about traffic, et cetera, you can't do anything. But on a local level in the city council, you can change what a neighborhood looks like. You can say, you know what? I am going to put bike lanes in this neighborhood. Or you know what? I am going to fund this city-owned property. And you can see the change visibly and more quicker. And that's why I want more people involved in local government. That's why I have the paid internship program, trying to create a pipeline of talent for people that are going to be the future leaders in this city. Um, that's one of the things I'm most proud of at the community board because it's not enough for me to run for office and be a city council member. What have I done for other people to pave the way for them to do their thing as well? So who do I talk to about the Deegan? <laughs> no, I have to take the Deegan every Friday. <laughs> so, who is so, the city so, council member in so charge that's, of that? So that's a little different. So um, highways or expressways, those are mostly federally funded and state funded. Um, so the city council, yeah, actually, that's one thing where the city council can't really touch. That's the state and the federal government. They could the 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 city council could touch the local votes and stuff like that, but not the um not the yeah. highways highways. <laughs> so sorry, Jamal. That's funny though. <laughs> no, well, I, I'm I'm no I'm saying that to say that um if you if you are from New York if you're from the Bronx, <laughs> there are certain things that you can look at to yeah. see to prove your point to see changes being made. Yes. And then you have other things where changes aren't as All right, I got you right now. Ready? the highways. How about the same construction area next to Yankee Stadium on the entrance to the highway that's been worked on for the past... Yeah, those are state and federal projects. (laughs) Um, I I can't speak on that. (laughs) No, I know. I'm saying, I'm saying, I know that state and federal. My problem is that the state and federal been forgetting it for a while. I see one construction worker there a day. I think he picks up a rock. He looks at it. It says it's a nice rock. And then I do not know anything about that. <laughs> so we don't I can't speak we don't... on it. <laughs> just wanna, just wanna, just wanna find out what happened with that man. I will say this though. I will say this. So speaking to your about. point, you know about um, spending. <laughs> um, no, most so, so about eighty percent of so we have it's the federal Department of Transportation. About eighty percent of that money goes towards highways. Only twenty percent goes towards mass transit. I think that needs to be flipped on its side. Um, there should be extensive 
um, subway systems throughout the country, you shouldn't have to take a plane to go to Chicago. You should be able to take a nice um, train there. Um, Other countries around the world have such extensive rail networks. And it's when I come, when I'm here, it's like, why don't we have this here? We're the richest country in the world, but yet there's so many pockets where you have to take a plane or you have to drive 10 hours to get. And you go to other countries, especially Europe, you could take a train from Paris to Spain to Germany all in one shot. It's like, we should have that here. You should have so many things here that they use over there. The prison reform they do over there is way better than here. There's no profit (laughs) in most of their prisons. Uh, What about the fact that their cops don't be killing people on a daily basis? But that's another story for another time. (laughs) Um, But yes. I don't think we need to touch on that today. So, (laughs) story for another time. But yeah, it's a lot of things we could follow because training is big. And if only you had two years of training instead of five, six months. Well, on that that point, I I will say this because (laughs) I think this is a big hot button issue. It's been a hot button issue for years. This didn't just happen all of a sudden. From Rodney King to George Floyd, we keep saying these recurring patterns. And here's the thing, especially in New York City, a lot of the reasons why we find officers not being held accountable or they're suspended with pay for leave is because of their contracts. The reason why an officer can't be fired right away is because of their union contract. And if you really want to see reform of how officers are being held accountable, we need our state government and our city government to renegotiate these contracts. Until the contracts are changed, we're gonna keep seeing these incidents happen every few months, unfortunately. We need to reform the contracts because those are the rules that govern what the punishment is or how someone can be punished. And it's different from every police department across the country. Some cities, it's easier to fire an officer. Other cities, it's harder. Um, But it all goes back to the contract. And it sucks because I'm so behind unions and I wish more jobs had unions, but it's certain loopholes like that, that kind of, it just hurts because it's like unions also save people from stuff that shouldn't be saved. Like, unfortunately, and it's not just in police work. It's also another kinds of work that that happens a lot, actually. Um, but that's just crazy, man. I... You know, I just think if we had more training, period, a lot of this stuff wouldn't even need to be talked about. A lot of these people are scared for no reason. And if you were trained right and trained to fight well and to have more confidence in your ability to defend yourself, a lot of these stuff wouldn't happen. You wouldn't be afraid. Or this is the main thing they say. I've spoken to officers off the record from the NYPD, and they've told me we get minimal hand-to-hand combat training. And one of, yeah, and I think think to your point, David, you know, one of the officers I know, he's a good friend and he, you know, he trained as a fighter before he was an officer. And he told me, you know, we literally had one week of hand-to-hand combat. He did a quick spar with another recruit and he like, he beat him very quickly, but then that was it. So he was saying, you know, if you're not being trained in those situations, your first resort is going to be to reach for a gun because you haven't been put in those uncomfortable positions versus the military, which gets extensive training on hand to hand. Um, It should be consistent. And I think for the officers, 
Um, I don't know mm-hmm. if training is the cure all for everything, but I think providing them monthly training in difficult situations um, with large groups, being exposed to difficult situations often is what the military does. And it prepares them the same way officers around this country need to be exposed to simulation training often, not once a year, often. So that way, when you're in an uncomfortable position, you've been there before. You can rely on your experience rather than panic and adrenaline and Mm -hmm. things change. And being scared, to be real, it's just you're, you're scared. It has to come to that because you not if you're not scared, you're not going to make a decision to automatically go for a weapon when you could go for other things. You could try to calm the person down with words. There's so many ways to go around. But the per- but automatically, because of the lack of training, to me, is one of the biggest things. For example, in Europe, they train for two years. Most Most of the countries in Europe. They don't even, a lot of the cops don't even go out with weapons. They go out with just clubs, pepper spray, and maybe a taser at most. Yeah, they don't go out with, 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 with guns, guns at all. They go out with other, with other ways right. to protect themselves. They, use, they go out with other ways to protect themselves. And then if there is a gun situation, then they'll bring people with guns into that situation. But that's it. Like, just little stuff like that. And the thing is, when you get two years of training, you just have a more stability to not be afraid as much of certain things compared to six months which is the average time in united states we also just need to i mean one thing you know the u.s has unfortunately is we have so much more guns than these other countries around the world we need to make it harder to have a gun in this country we need to have universal background checks um there should probably be um gun license requirements dissimilar to the way that you have to go through driving school to get a driver's license, you should go to um, the gun range and learn how to properly shoot a weapon if you're going to have a gun. And it shouldn't be so readily available to buy a gun. But that's for sure. First off, in Japan, I don't know if it's Japan or China, one of the two, but you got to go through rigorous tests for like almost a year before both. you, or both, okay, or you before you even get a gun. Mm-hmm. Like the, the amount of tests. And, and I, I don't even think you're allowed to like have one. In China, I think it is. No, I know I one. Of, I know one of them is that you go through rigorous, rigorous tests. They take they they put you through multiple Japan. psychological tests, multiple training tests. So you got to be able to shoot it before they even give it to you. So they won't even let until you're like a marksman, at least to a certain point. They won't even give you it. So if you suck, you'll never get it. Like it's just that simple. Right. Like and little things like that could help. Like I just feel like we don't do as much as other countries do to protect their citizens when it comes to situations like this. And the other thing is that we shouldn't be afraid of our police. While, you know, like in like you should the police should be from the neighborhood that you grew up in. That's one thing I've always believed. A lot of times we get police from outside in the suburbs, outside from other places. I, I, hey, I will say in their defense because I do know some officers. <laughs> There's and there's thirty five thousand officers, right? And any any group that big, there's going to be issues. Yes, there are. Uh, mm-hmm. I will say, I will say, there's definitely areas of reform. Of course, I think. But I, I will also say, you know, I've been to a precinct, so there's something that's, that's called roll call, and it's one of the things that I was invited to. It was the evening roll call, and I was invited by the commanding officer to it, and he was, and all he pretty much said, this is what stuck to me. He said, you know, we had a shooting last night. We're expecting retaliation. Be careful. And I just think when you're going to a job and roll calls when you start, this is like you're about to start your your shift. I mean, I'm just thinking being in the mind of someone where 
you just started you're right. about to start your shift and the your boss tells you there there's going to be a shooting again today we're expecting a shooting and you're answering that that's a very stressful position to be in so i don't envy their position um but i think more training would be helpful um that doesn't excuse all of the abuses that we see but but it is a very stressful position um you of see things not. that people see on movies like you see decomposing bodies you see drug overdoses you see the worst of society you also see the best of society um i think officers should have time for counseling it shouldn't be a stigma if you see counseling i mean they experience ptsd just like soldiers um and when they look for help they they're stigmatized or they're, yeah. they're called soft or and that's not right either these are very stressful demanding jobs um and if you just have someone just going in, going in, going in without getting time off. Um, I think that's why you see some of this stuff happen. Yeah, all good points. But uh, this is yeah. uh, where we're going to call it quits. John, thank you for coming on. Uh, thank you for sharing all this information. And if you need anything, you know you have our support. So just so everyone knows, you can find John on Instagram at John Sanchez NY. You can find him on Twitter. At NY John Sanchez and on Facebook, John Sanchez NY. You could also donate to his campaign, check out what he's doing, follow him for more information on his website, John Sanchez for NY.com. John, thank you so much for coming out and I wish you the best of luck. Thank you for listening to Social Justice, the New American Revolution. Make sure you tune in tomorrow for the latest episode. And if you want to be heard, email us at the socialjusticepodcast at gmail.com. <laughs>